A siege is a military blockade of a city or a fortress with the intent of conquering by attrition or by a prepared assault. The goal of the sieger is to protect the sieging entity's security interests. Sanctions, on the other hand, are commercial and financial penalties applied by one or more countries against a targeted self-governing state, group or individual. Sanctions are supposed to be political and economic actions that are then supposed to be a part of diplomatic efforts by countries or regional organizations against other states or organizations to protect the sanctioning entity's security interests. In my view, a sanctions regime of the modern era, I'll say post-1991, is the equivalent of a traditional siege that has typically happened throughout human history. So, what is a siege? Siege is a form of warfare, a kind of constant low-intensity conflict set apart by one party holding a strong, static, defensive position, consequently, an opportunity for negotiation between a combatants is not uncommon because you're in close proximity and a fluctuating advantage can encourage some kind of diplomacy. After all, if you're the sieger, you're right next to the CG. So a siege occurs when an attacker army encounters a city or a fortress or something that cannot be easily taken by a quick assault and who refuses to surrender. Sieges involve surrounding the target to block the provision of supplies and the reinforcement or escape of troops from the sieged location. This is usually coupled with attempts to reduce fortifications by siege engines, artillery shelling, mining, or the use of deception or treason to bypass defences of the sieged settlement. Failing a military outcome, sieges can often be decided by other more kind of nuanced things like, you know, starvation, thirst or disease, which can afflict either the attacker or the defender. Yes, both can face these outcomes. However, this form of siege can take months or even years depending on the size of the food stores held by the fortified positions. An attacking force can surround the besieged place, which is to build a line of mounds consisting of a wall and a trench that surrounds it. During this encirclement process, the attacking force risks that it itself be attacked by another force that can be an ally of the besieged location because it takes a long time to force that location to surrender. Others inevitably have time to attack the attackers. A defensive ring of forts outside the fort ring is sometimes used to protect the attackers from the outside as well. Ancient cities in the Middle East show archaeological evidence of fortified city walls. During the Warring States era of ancient China, there is both written and archaeological evidence of prolonged sieges and siege machinery used against the defenders of city walls. 
During the Renaissance and early modern period in Europe, siege warfare ultimately dominated the conduct of war. Medieval campaigns were designed around a succession of sieges. By the time of the Napoleonic era in the early 1800s, increasing use of ever more powerful cannons reduced the value of fortifications. Of course, by the 20th century, the significance of the classical siege had declined. The ancient Assyrians deployed large labor forces to build new palaces, temples, and defensive walls. Some settlements in the Indus Valley civilization were also fortified. Around 3500 BC, hundreds of small agriculture villages dotted the floodplains of the Indus River. Many of these settlements had planned fortifications and streets as per archaeological finds. You see, city walls and fortifications were essential for the defence of the first and early cities in human civilization, And this was in today's Iraq, Syria, the Indus Valley Civilization, etc. Depending on local availability, the walls would be made of mud, bricks, stone, wood, or a combination of these materials, depending on what people could find. The great walls surrounding the Sumerian city of Urk gained a widespread reputation. These walls were about 9.5 kilometers in length and up to 12 meters in height. Later, the walls of Babylon, reinforced by towers, moats and ditches, gained a similar reputation. Over in Anatolia, the Hittites built massive stone walls around their cities on hills and used the terrain. In the Shang dynasty of ancient China, at the site of Ao, large walls were erected in the 15th century BC that had dimensions of around 20 meters in width at the base and an enclosed area of some 2,100 yards squared. A well-known siege is the story of the Trojan horse of the Trojan war fame. And a similar story tells how the Canaanite city of Joppa was conquered by the Egyptians in the 15th century BC. During the Peloponnesian War, 100 sieges were attempted and 58 ended with the surrender of the besieged area. One of the contributing causes of Hannibal's failure to defeat Rome was his lack of siege engines. So, while he was able to defeat Roman armies in the field, and brilliantly so, he could not capture Rome itself. The Mongol Empire's campaign against China then compromising the Western Zia dynasty, Jin dynasty, and the Southern Song dynasty, by Genghis Khan until Kublai Khan, who eventually established the Yuan dynasty in 1271, was very effective, allowing the Mongols to sweep through large areas. Even if they could not enter some of the more well-fortified cities, they used clever battle tactics to grab hold of the land and people. By concentrating on field armies, the strongholds had to wait. Of course, Smaller fortresses, or ones that easily surprised, were taken as they came along. This had two effects. First, it cut off the principal city from communicating with other cities where they might expect aid. Secondly, refugees from these smaller cities would flee to the last stronghold. 
The reports from these cities and the streaming hordes of refugees not only reduced the morale of the inhabitants and garrison of the principal city, it also strained their resources. Food and water reserves were taxed by the sudden influx of refugees. Soon, what was once a formidable undertaking became easy. So, the Mongols were then free to lay siege without interference of the field army, as it had been destroyed. At the siege of Aleppo, Halagu used 20 catapults against the Bab al-Iraq alone. In Juzani, there were several episodes in which the Mongols constructed hundreds of siege machines in order to suppress the number which had been defending the city. Another Mongol tactic was to use catapults to launch corpses of plague victims into besieged cities. These disease-carrying fleas from the bodies would then infest the city and plague would spread, allowing the city to be easily captured. Although this transmission mechanism was not known at the time, in 1346, bodies of Mongol warriors of the Golden Horde who had died of plague were thrown over the walls of the besieged Crimean city of Kaffa. From AD 1234 until 1279, the Southern Song Chinese held out against the enormous barrage of Mongol attacks. Much of this success in defence lay in the world's first use of gunpowder. Grenades, firearms, cannons, etc., as well as landmines were used to fight back the Khanites, the Tangnuts, and the Jurchens, and then the Mongols. The introduction of gunpowder and the use of cannons brought about a new age in siege warfare. Cannons were first used in the Song Dynasty in China in early 13th century, but did not become significant weapons for another 150 odd years or so. In the early decades, cannons provided little more than smoke and fire and could do little against strong castles and fortresses. By the 16th century, however, they were an essential and regular part of any campaign army or castle defence. The greatest advantage of guns over other siege weapons was the ability to fire a heavier shell further, faster, and more often than previous weapons. They could also fire projectiles in straight lines so that they could destroy the base of high walls. Thus, old-fashioned walls, high and relatively thin, were excellent targets and over time easily demolished. In 1453, the large walls known as the Theodosian Walls of Constantinople, which was the capital of the Byzantine Roman Empire, were broken through in just six weeks by 62 guns of Mehmed II's Turkish army. Prior to that, prior to that even, the Theodosian Walls stood for hundreds and hundreds of years and protected Constantinople from countless sieges. Once siege guns were developed, the techniques for attacking a city or fortress became well-known and kind of ritual. The attacking army would surround a town, then the town would be asked to surrender. If they did not comply, the besieged army would surround the city with temporary fortifications to stop allies from the stronghold from getting help or getting in or out. The attackers would next build a strength of trenches parallel to the defences, and just out of range of the defending artillery. They would dig a trench, known as a forward, towards the city in a zigzag pattern so that it could not be trapped by the defences of the fire. 
once they were in artillery range, they would dig another parallel, called the second parallel, trench, and strengthen it with weapons. This technique is commonly referred to as entrenchment. Siege warfare dominated in Western Europe for most of the 17th and 18th centuries. A whole campaign or longer could be used in a single siege. For example, Ostend 1601-1604, La Rochelle 1627-1628. This led to extremely long conflicts. The balance was that while siege warfare was extremely expensive and very slow, it was rather successful, or at least more so than encounters in the field. The battles were the result of clashes between the besiegers and the liberation of armies, but the principle was a slow and grinding victory by the greater economic power. During the English Civil War, anything that tended to prolong the struggle or kick the can down the road a little bit was bitterly resented by the men of both sides. In France and Germany, the prolongation of war meant continued employment for the soldiers, but in England, both sides were looking to end the war rather quickly. Advances in artillery made previously impregnable defences useless. For example, the walls of Vienna that had held off the Turks in the mid-17th century were no obstacle to Napoleon in the early 19th. Where sieges occurred, such as the Siege of Delhi and the Siege of Corpon during the Indian Rebellion of 1857, the attackers were usually able to defeat the defences within a matter of days or weeks, rather than weeks or months as previously. During the Franco-Prussian War, the battlefield front lines moved rapidly through France. However, the Prussian and other German armies were delayed for months at the Siege of Metz and the Siege of Paris due to the greatly increased firepower of defending infantry and the principle of detached or semi-detached forts with heavy caliber artillery. Further advances in firearms technology without the necessary advances in battlefield communications gradually led to the defence again gaining the ascendancy over the attacker. An example of siege during this time prolonged for 337 days due to the isolation of the surrounded troops. That was the siege of Balleur, in which a reduced group of Spanish soldiers was besieged in a small church by the Philippine rebels during the Philippine Revolution and the Spanish-American War until months after the Treaty of Paris that was supposed to end the conflict. Mainly as a result of the increasing firepower, such as of machine guns, available to defensive forces, First World War trench warfare briefly revived the form of siege warfare. Although siege warfare had moved out from an urban setting because the city walls had become ineffective against modern weapons, trench warfare was nonetheless able to use many of the techniques of siege warfare in its prosecution, but on a much larger scale and on a greatly extended front. The other major siege outside of Europe during World War I was in Mesopotamia at the Siege of Kut. After a failed attempt to move on Baghdad, stopped by the Ottomans at the bloody Battle of Seifistan, the British and their large contingent of Indian sepoy soldiers were forced to retreat to Kut, where the Ottomans under the German general Baron Kolmar von der Gotts laid siege. The largest sieges of the war, however, 
took place in Europe. The initial German advance into Belgium produced four major sieges, the Battle of Liege, the Battle of Namur, and the Siege of Magobi, and the Siege of Antwerp. All four would prove crushing German victories. Sorry for the pronunciations of those towns. The Blitzkrieg of the Second World War truly showed that fixed fortifications are easily defeated by manoeuvres instead of frontal assault or long sieges. The Great Manigot Line was bypassed and battles that would have taken weeks of siege could now be avoided with the careful application of air power. The most important siege was the Siege of Leningrad, again in World War II. Leningrad is, in 2021, St. Petersburg again. That siege lasted over 29 months, about half of the duration of the entire Second World War. The siege of Leningrad resulted in the deaths of some one million of the city's inhabitants. Along with the Battle of Stalingrad, the siege of Leningrad on the Eastern Front was the deadliest siege in the history of sieges. The Berlin blockade from June 1948 to September 1949, the Western powers flew over 200,000 flights providing to West Berlin up to eight or 9,000 tons of necessities each day. Numerous sieges have taken place during the Syrian Civil War, such as the Siege of Homs, the Siege of Kobani, Siege of Deir Dezor. This was all between 19, sorry, 2014 and 2017. Oh, and the Siege of Al-Fur'ah and Karifa happened after between 2017 and 2019. Rather controversially, some would suggest that the Gaza Strip is a land that is under siege by the State of Israel in 2021. International sanctions. International sanctions are political and economic decisions that are part of diplomatic efforts by countries, multilateral or regional organizations against states or organizations either to protect national security interests or to protect international law or supposed international law and defend against threats to international peace and security. In my view, sanctions, as I've said before, are the modern sieges. There are three main types of sanctions. Economic sanctions, typically a ban on trade, possibly limited to certain sectors such as armaments, financial instru instruments, trade or within certain expectation exceptions such as food and medicine. Then there is diplomatic sanctions. That's the reduction or removal of diplomatic ties, such as embassies or ambassadors. And finally, there are social sanctions. That includes things like preventing one country's people and teams from competing in international sporting events. The United States embargo against Cuba began on the 14th of March, 1958, during the rule of then-dictator Falinko Bastita. At first, the embargo supplied only arms sales. However, it later expanded to include other imports, eventually extended to almost all trade by February 1962. Referred to by Cubans as the blockade, the US embargo on Cuba remains, as of 2021, one of the longest standing embargoes in modern history. 
Russia's focus has been primarily on implementing sanctions against the pro-Western governments of the former Soviet Union states. The Kremlin's aim is particularly on states that aspire to join the European Union and NATO such as Serbia, Ukraine, Moldova and Georgia. The US and the EU have in turn put various sanctions on Russia, who in turn have put various sanctions on the United States and European Union. The United Nations Security Council passed Resolution 1718 in 2006 in response to a nuclear test that the Democratic People's Republic of North Korea conducted in violation of the Treaty on Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons. The resolution banned the sale of military and luxury goods and froze government assets. Since then, the United Nations has passed multiple resolutions subsequently expanding sanctions on North Korea. Resolution 2270 from 2016 placed restrictions on transport personnel and vehicles employed by North Korea, while also restricting the sale of natural resources and fuel for aircraft. In effort to punish South Africa for its policies of apartheid, the United Nations General Assembly adopted a voluntary international oil embargo against South Africa on the 20th of November 1987. That embargo had the support of 130 other countries. In March 2021, Reuters reported that the EU had put immediate sanctions on both Chechnya and Russia, Chechnya being inside of Russia, due to alleged alleged ongoing sponsored and backed government violence against their own gay citizens. At this point, I'm going to make a broad-based assumption that the settlement or town you are living in today or whenever you are listening to this podcast in the near or far future, your settlement, dear listener, does not have an active, active city wall where your town, city or village settlement needs protection from other settlements or invaders. You may even be living in a sprawling metro somewhere where only one city melds into another. Some of you may even want to get out of your sprawling metros into the countryside. So there are roads and train networks to get you in and out quickly. You may be living under someone else's economic or political sanctions, or you may be from a country dishing out sanctions on other countries. The impact of a sanction from a large country or economy on a small one is profound. People lose access to jobs, to finance, to food, to medicine, and to travel. Ironically, sanctions typically don't even work. It just provides great misery for the receiving country. If your country is imposing sanctions on a smaller country, say the US on Cuba or Venezuela or Russia on Ukraine, it matters to the receiving country. It matters to the residents of a country. It matters because it is an act of war without declaring the war. It is a siege. Sanctions from the European Union and the United States on Russia is more limited and nuanced. Russia is a massive country 
and has massive natural resources and has many other trade partners so it can very easily get around these sanctions. In addition, it also has a very large military. Sieges are ancient methods of warfare. Sanctions, in my opinion, are the new sieges. Like the original siege, sanctions don't often work. But maybe, just maybe, it's in human nature to make people submit by sieging them or by besieging them. Thank you for listening to the Alternative History Podcast.